Chapter twenty six of A Daughter of the Land. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Daughter of the Land by Jean Stratton Porter. Chapter twenty six The Winged Victory. Kate turned, and placing the baby on the front seat, she knelt and put her arms around the little thing, but her lips only repeated the words, Praise the Lord for this precious baby. Her heart was filled with high resolve. She would rear the baby with such care. She would be more careful with Adam. She would make heroic effort to help him to clean, unashamed manhood. She would be a better sister to all her family. She would be friendlier and have more patience with the neighbors. She would join in whatever effort the church was making to hold and increase its membership among the young people, and to raise funds to keep up the organization. All the time her mind was busy thinking out these fine resolves, her lips were thanking the Lord for little Paul. Kate arose with the benediction, picked up the baby, and started down the aisle among the people she had known all her life. On every side strong hands stretched out to greet and welcome her. A daughter of Adam Bates was something new as a church member. They all knew how she could work, and what she could give if she chose. While that she had stood at the altar and been baptized, meant that something not customary with the Bates family was taking place in her heart. So they welcomed her and praised the beauty and sweetness of the baby, until Kate went out into the sunshine, her face glowing. Slowly she walked home, and as she reached the veranda, Adam took the baby. Been to the cemetery? he asked. Kate nodded and dropped into a chair. That's too far to walk and carry this great big woman, he said, snuggling his face in the baby's neck while she patted his cheeks and pulled his hair. Why didn't you tell me you wanted to go and let me get out the car? Kate looked at him speculatively. Adam, she said, when I started out, I meant only to take some flowers to Mother and Polly. As I came around the corner of the church to take the footpath, they were singing, Rejoice in the Lord. I went inside and joined. I'm going to church as often as I can after this, and I'm going to help with the work of running it. "'Well, I like that,' cried Adam indignantly. "'Why didn't you let me go with you?' Kate sat staring down the road. She was shocked speechless. Again she had followed an impulse without thinking of anyone besides herself. Usually she could talk, but in that instant she had nothing to say. Then a carriage drew into the line of her vision, stopped at York's gate, and Mr. York alighted, and swung to the ground a slim girlish figure, and then helped his wife.' Kate had a sudden inspiration. "'But you would want to wait a little and join with Millie, wouldn't you?' she asked. "'Uncle Robert always has been a church member. I think it's a fine stand for a man to take.' "'Maybe that would be better,' he said. "'I didn't think of Millie. I only thought I'd like to have been with you and little Paul. "'I'm sure Millie will be joining very soon, and that she'll want you with her,' said Kate. She was a very substantial woman, but for the remainder of that day— she felt that she was moving with winged feet. She sang, she laughed, she was unspeakably happy. She kept saying over and over, And a little child shall lead them. And she would catch little Paul, almost crushing her in her strong arms. It never occurred to Kate that she had done an unprecedented thing. She had done as her heart dictated. She did not know that she put the minister into a most uncomfortable position when he followed her request to baptize her and the child. 
She had never thought of probations and examinations and catechisms. She had read the Bible, as was the custom, every morning before her school. In that book, when a man wanted to follow Jesus, he followed. Jesus accepted him, and that was all there was to it. With Kate, the middle of the week, Nancy Ellen came flying up the walk on winged feet herself. She carried photographs of several small children, one of them a girl so like little Paul that she might have been the original of the picture. They just came, said Nancy Ellen rather breathlessly. I was wild for that little darling at once. I had Robert telegraph them to hold her until we could get there. We're going to start on the evening train, and if her blood seems good and her ancestors respectable and she looks like that picture, we're going to bring her back with us. Oh, Kate, I can scarcely wait to get my fingers on her. I'm hungry for a baby all of my own. Kate studied the picture. She's charming, she said. Oh, Nancy Ellen, the world is getting entirely too good to be true. Nancy Ellen looked at Kate and smiled peculiarly. I knew you were crazy, she said, but I never dreamed of you going to such lengths. Mrs. Whistler told Robert when she called him in about her side Tuesday. I can't imagine a Bates joining church. If that is joining church, it's the easiest thing in the world, said Kate. We just loved doing it, didn't we, little Paul? Adam and Millie are going to come in soon. I'm almost sure. At least he is willing. I don't know what it is that I am to do, but I suppose they will give me my work soon. You bet they'll give you work soon, and enough, said Nancy Ellen, laughing. You'll just put it through as you do things out here. Kate, you are making this place look fine. I used to say... I'd rather die than come back here to live, but lately it has been growing so attractive. I've been here about half my time and wished I were the other half. Kate slipped her arm around Nancy Ellen as they walked to the gate. You know, said Nancy Ellen, the more I study you, the less I know about you. Usually it's sickness and sorrow and losing their friends that bring people to the consolations of the church. You bore those things like a stoic. When they were all over, and you are comfortable and happy, just the joy of being sure of little Paul has transformed you. Kate, you make me think of the winged victory this afternoon. If I get this darling little girl, will she make me big and splendid and fine like you? Kate suddenly drew Nancy Ellen to her and kissed her a long, hard kiss on the lips. Nancy Ellen, she said, you are big and splendid and fine or you never would be going to Chicago after this little motherless child. You haven't said a word, but I know from the joy of you and Robert during the past months that Mrs. Southey isn't troubling you any more, and I'm sure enough to put it into words that when you get your little child, she will lead you straight where mine has led me. Goodbye and good luck to you, and remember me to Robert. Nancy Ellen stood intently, studying the picture she held in her hand. Then she looked at Kate, smiling with misty eyes. I think, Kate, I'm very close, if I'm not really where you are this minute, she said. Then she started her car, but she looked back waving and smiling until the car swerved so that Kate called after her, Do drive carefully, Nancy Ellen. Kate went slowly up the walk. She stopped several times to examine the shrubs and bushes closely to wish for rain for the flowers. She sat on the porch a few minutes talking to little Paul, then she went inside to answer the phone. Kate, cried a sharp voice. Yes, said Kate, recognizing a neighbor living a few miles down the road. Did Nancy Ellen just leave your house? Came a breathless query. Yes, said Kate again. I just saw a car that looked like hers slip in the fresh sand at the river levee, and it went down and two or three times over. 
"Oh, God!" said Kate. Then after an instant, "Ring the dinner bell for your men and get her out. I'll phone Robert and come as soon as I can get there." Kate called Dr. Gray's office. She said to the girl, "Tell the doctor that Mrs. Howe thinks she saw Nancy Ellen's car go down the river and two or three times over. Have him bring what he might need to Howe's and hurry. Rush him." Then she ran to her bell and rang so frantically that Adam came running. Kate was at the little garage they had built and had the door open. She told him what she had heard, ran to get the baby, and met him at the gate. On the way, she said, "You take the baby when we get there, and if I am needed, take her back and get Milly and her mother to come stay with you. You know where her things are and how to feed her. Don't you dare let them change any way I do. Baby knows Milly. She will be good for her and for you. You'll be careful." Of course, mother said Adam. He called her attention to the road. Look at those tracks, he said. Was she sick? She might have been drunk from them. No, said Kate. She wasn't sick. She was drunk, drunken with joy. She had a picture of the most beautiful little baby girl. They were to start to Chicago after her tonight. I suspect she was driving with the picture in one hand. Oh my God, have mercy! They had come to deep grooves in loose gravel, then the cut in the embankment. Then they could see the wrecked car standing on the engine and lying against a big tree near the water, while two men and a woman were carrying a limp form across the meadow toward the house. As their car stopped, Kate kissed the baby mechanically, handed her to Adam, and ran into the house, where she dragged a couch to the middle of the first room she entered, found a pillow, and brought a bucket of water and a towel from the kitchen. They carried Nancy Ellen in and laid her down. Kate began unfastening clothing and trying to get the broken body in shape for the doctor to work upon. But she spread the towel over what had been a face of unusual beauty. Robert came in a few minutes. Then all of them worked under his directions until he suddenly sank to the floor, burying his face in Nancy Ellen's breast. Then they knew. Kate gathered her sister's feet in her arms and hid her face beside them. The neighbors silently began taking away things that had been used. While Mrs. Howe chose her whitest sheet and laid it on a chair near Robert, two days later they laid Nancy Ellen beside her mother. Then they began trying to face the problem of life without her. Robert said nothing; he seemed too stunned to think. Kate wanted to tell him of her final visit with Nancy Ellen, but she could not at that time. Robert's aged mother came to him and said she could remain as long as he wanted her, so that was a comfort to Kate. Who took time to pity him, even in her blackest hour? She had some very black ones. She could have wailed and lamented and relinquished all she had gained, but she did not. She merely went on with life as she always had lived it, to the best of her ability. When she was so numbed with grief, she scarcely knew what she was doing. She kept herself driven about the house, and when she could find no more to do, took little Paul in her arms and went out in the fields to Adam. Where she found the baby a safe place, and then cotton husked corn as usual. Every Sabbath and often during the week, her feet carried her to the cemetery, where she sat in the deep grass and looked at those three long mounds, and tried to understand life deeper still to fathom death. She and her mother had agreed that there was something. Now Kate tried as never before to understand what and where, and why that something was. Many days she would sit for an hour at a time, thinking, and at last she arrived at fixed convictions that settled matters forever with her. One day, after she had arranged the fall roses, she had grown. 
and some roadside asters she had gathered in passing she sat in deep thought when a car stopped on the road kate looked up to see robert coming across the churchyard with his arms full of greenhouse roses he carried a big bunch of deep red for her mother white for polly and a large sheaf of warm pink for nancy ellen kate knelt up and taking her flowers she moved them lower and silently helped robert place those he had brought then she sat where she had been and looked at him finally he asked still hunting the why kate why doesn't so much matter said kate as where i'm enough of a fatalist to believe that mother is here because she was old and worn out polly had a clear case of uric poison while i'd stake my life nancy ellen was gloating over the picture she carried when she ran into that loose sand in each of their cases i am satisfied as to why as well as about father the thing that holds me and fascinates me and that i have such a time being sure of is where robert glanced upward and asked isn't there room enough up there kate too much said kate and what is the soul and how can it bridge the vortex lying between us and other worlds that man never can because of the lack of air to breathe and support him i don't know said robert and in spite of the fact that i do know what a man cannot do i still believe in the immortality of the soul oh yes said kate if there is any such thing in science as a self-evident fact that is one that is provable robert looked at her eager face how would you go about proving it kate he asked why this way said kate leaning to straighten and arrange the delicate velvet petaled roses with her sure work abused fingers take the history of the world from as near dawn as we have any record and trace it from the igloo of the northernmost eskimo around the globe and down to the ice of the southern pole again and in blackest africa farthest wildest borneo you will never discover one single tribe of creatures upright and belonging to the race of man who did not come into the world with four primal instincts they all reproduce themselves they all make something intended for music they all express a feeling in their hearts by the exercise we call dance they all believe in the afterlife of the soul this belief is as much a part of any man ever born in any location as his hands and his feet whether he believes his soul enters a cat and works back to man again after long transmigration or goes to a happy hunting ground as our indians makes no difference with the fact that he enters this world with belief in afterlife of some kind we see material evidence an increase that man is not defeated in his desire to reproduce himself we have advanced to something better than tom-toms and pow-wows for music and dance these desires are fulfilled before us now tell me why the very strongest of all the most deeply rooted the belief in afterlife should come to nothing why should the others be real and that a dream i don't think it is said robert it's my biggest self-evident fact said kate conclusively i never heard anyone else say these things but i think them and they are provable i always believed there was something but since i saw mother go i know there is she stood in full evening light I looked straight in her face, and, Robert, you know I'm no creature of fancies and delusions. I tell you, I saw her soul pass. I saw the life go from her and go on and on. I saw her body stand erect, long enough for me to reach her and pick her up after its passing. That I know. 
i shouldn't think of questioning it kate said robert but don't you think you are rather limiting man when you narrow him to four primal instincts oh i don't know said kate air to breathe and food to sustain are presupposed man learns to fight in self-defense and to acquire what he covets he learns to covet by seeing stronger men in better locations surpasses achievements so if he is strong enough he goes and robs them by force he learns the desire for the chase in food hunting i think four are plenty to start with probably you are right said the doctor rising i must go now shall i take you home kate glanced at the sun and shook her head i can stay half an hour longer i don't mind the walk i need exercise to keep me in condition good-bye as he started his car he glanced back she was leaning over the flowers absorbed in their beauty kate sat looking straight before her until time to help with the evening work and prepare supper then she arose she stood looking down a long time finally she picked up a fine specimen of each of the roses and slowly dropped them on her father's grave there you may have that many she said you look a little too lonely lying there beside the others with not a single one but if you could speak i wonder whether you would say thank you or take the damn weeds off me end of chapter 26 read by veronica jenkins in ottawa illinois